You're listening to the Central City Assembly Podcast. We're dedicated to sharing content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus for the good of our city and helps you grow in your love for him. We pray this episode blesses you, impacts you, and fills you with kingdom purpose. (laughs) Guys, I'm so happy to be here with all of you this morning, and I am really excited that Thanksgiving is this week, and I'm not mad about it at all. I'm ready to eat all the good food. I am ready for turkey. I like turkey. Does anybody not like turkey? A lot of people are just like, eh, turkey, but I mean... I love me some turkey. I'm ready for it. All the fixings. But what I'm... Wait, what was that? We're having a conversation about something turkey over here? Oh, yeah. Moist turkey. Well, of course. I don't want to eat jerky for Thanksgiving. No, no. Definitely not. Um, But uh, what I'm most excited about, though, I think, is that um, once Thanksgiving happens, I can bring out all things Christmas. Christmas movies... On repeat, I, I really do. I watch the same Christmas movies over and over. Christmas music, um, and the Kai is not a Grinch at all, like by any stretch of the imagination. But there's a definite ban on Thanksgiving, or excuse me, on Christmas until after Thanksgiving. I'm like, could we just put the tree up this week? No, you have to wait until after Thanksgiving. I'm like, okay, all right. So he's not a Grinch, but he definitely doesn't let me do Christmas early, but. I think what we all love about the holidays is that sense of like being at home, that cozy feeling. I mean, even the video that Kai made was like, oh, the warm fire, just being at home, right? But the reality is, is that we've all been home a lot, right? Thank you, 2020. You did that for us. Thank you for getting us really reacquainted with our houses. My goodness. But um, so when Kai and I realized a couple months ago that we really, really were going to be home a lot. We did something. Kai wasn't very excited about this thing that we did, but he heard me out and he heard that my logic and my reasoning was very sound. And we moved out of our really, really big, spacious master bedroom, this really big and wonderful and big, into our front room that the boys used to share, and they had, you know, they had their little bunk beds in there, and it was their room, their toys, all of that. So we moved them out, and we moved us in, and we had previously put a little sleeping quarter in the middle room, so it's just their beds, all three of the boys sleep in there, and we sacrificed our giant bedroom to be a playroom. And somewhere in my mind, I thought, man, this is going to keep the house so clean because all their toys are just going to be in there. And I had all this wishful thinking. No, no, it was not true. Uh, these boys are definitely sprawled out, and there's greater, um, there's greater floor space for them to play on. But that also means that there's greater opportunity for toys on every square inch of the floor. So it's a good idea, but... It's not as clean as I had hoped it would be. So there's, there's the update on that. Um, if, I recommend it, though. If you have an extra space that can just be a playroom, at least the mess does stay in there. Right? Can I get an amen, Luke and Lindsay? Oh, yeah, we got a loft playroom, yep, by the Magianises. But one of the things that happens is the messier and messier it gets, then World War III happens because we're like, hey, guys, Miles and Oliver, it's time to clean. And sometimes... Sometimes they will clean with great attitudes, and we're like, wow, that was great. But the story that I'm about to tell you was not 
a banner day for Miles. He was not excited about it. And um, what you should know is that I did ask Miles if I could share this story. And in true Miles fashion, he said, no, you can share this story. And then he laughed and walked away. So there you go. That's our boy. He's a real jokester. Um, so he gave me permission to share this story. Um, so so I, I basically told them, we're going to clean. We are going to clean this room. And Miles was just not on board. And I found him crying in the hallway with his little head in his hands. And he was so, so, so frustrated. And what you should know is that right before that, I had laid it on really thick. I played that mom card. I was like, hey, are you not grateful for your toys? Aren't you glad that you have all those Legos? Like, you should be excited. Maybe when you pick them up, you say thank you. Like, I've just laid it on thick. And I am the first to admit that I am doing my best to raise humans every day so that they only need a little bit of therapy. Because a little bit of therapy is good, right? So I'm not going to say no therapy. We all need a little therapy in our lives. But I'm doing the best I can. But Miles was really upset. And I finally got him to open up. Because when he's really upset, sometimes he just he cries and he feels embarrassed. And so we sat down. And then he said to me, he said, Mom, I can still see his little face. He said, Mom, I don't feel grateful. And I felt like I could honestly say to him, Miles, I completely understand. Because you want to feel grateful, you know that you should be grateful, but you just cannot get there. And I told him, because, because then I realized that that was kind of getting in his guts that I'm an ungrateful kid. I don't, have, I don't have anything to be grateful for. And I could tell that that was, he was like, Mom, I don't feel okay about this. And so I said, you know what, son? We are not our feelings. We're not our thoughts. And just because you don't feel grateful, it doesn't mean that you're not grateful. We're going to help you get there. And see, I don't think that we're much different than Miles, right? Because if anything, this year has really pushed us to the brink. I've heard people say things like, am I thankful for my family? Yes, but I have been around my kids 24-7. You know, am I thankful for my job? Yeah, but I didn't want to be hunkered down in a, in a dark room of my house or in a closet doing work from home. Like, am I thankful for the opportunity to homeschool? Yeah, but I didn't get a degree in teaching, you know, like I'm an engineer, like, hello, okay, I'm not an engineer, that, I just, I, grew, I looked over and saw my engineer friend, and that, that, that came to me, I was not an engineer, okay, let that be very clear, um, <laughs> um, you know, I've, I've just heard people say these things, like, of course I'm grateful for my spouse, but man, we are like, we're always together, it is stressful, but I think that, I think that, Another thing I've heard, and, and it's just like, I can't even be, I can't even wrap my mind around other people's political views or other people's approaches to COVID-19, let alone be grateful for my neighbor, right? Like, it's a pretty brutal out there right now. And my question is, are we still grateful? Am I still grateful? Let's just pray before we dive in, Okay. God, the theme of this morning has just been your faithfulness. It's been how you, your word goes out and it accomplishes what it is sent to do. God, that our story isn't about us, but it's about you. It's about your goodness. It's about your redeeming work in our lives. 
And so, God, we ask that as we think about gratitude, as we think about being thankful, God, that we would remember that we have a God who is worthy of it all. That when we don't feel like it, when we can't muster up the gratitude, it doesn't mean that you're not worthy. And so, God, would you help us today to hear from you in a new way? God, I... I, I ask that anything that is not from you, that my friends would, it would just disappear out of their thoughts, out of their minds. God, in everything that's you, Lord, let it stick. Let it marinate. Let it be something that my friends can take from this place and walk fully in life with you. And Lord, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your word and for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. So I had all these things that I wanted to say, right? I was like, oh, I want to go this route with gratitude, and I want to go this way, and I want to go this way. And God was like, no, you're going to go this way. And I said, okay. So he said, we're going to hang out in Philippians 4. And I was like, oh, Philippians 4, the scripture that everyone can probably quote in their sleep and they've heard a million times. He's like, yeah, that one. I said, okay, cool. Awesome. So my awesome husband let me use his logos, wait, logos? All of a sudden, I was afraid I wasn't saying it right. But it's a really cool program. You can study the Bible. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. So I went to Philippians 4, and I actually learned so much. It was really an encouraging time for me. Um, But again, Philippians 4, 8, 4, 4 through 8, it's a really familiar passage. It's probably on a coffee mug, probably on the one you drank from this morning. It's on shirts. If you go into Hobby Lobby, it's everywhere, right? We've turned Philippians 4, 4 through 8 into a really uh, a cliche, kind of like Kai was, what Kai was saying earlier. We tell people in their plights and in their difficulties, oh, be anxious for nothing and everything in prayer and self-regulation because we know known unto God. You know, we, we've turned it into this hokey kind of a response. And I want to I wanna talk about that today because it's not hokey, right? It's full of power. It's God's word. God's word is active and alive, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I think that we need to regain that power of gratitude, that strong stance of gratitude. If you just put into your search engine gratitude, you are going to be inundated with the world's response. And you know what the world is saying? The world is saying, if you want to be strong, if you want to have a capable mind, if you want to be successful, if you want to have joy, if you want to be happy, you need to have gratitude. Guys, that's the message that we as believers should be saying. It shouldn't be psychology today that pops up with the first, you know, response. It should be the the believers. It should be people who have a kingdom mindset who say, this is why you should be grateful. Yes, it's backed by scientific research, and that's phenomenal to me. It's fascinating because it's true. You can just go and research scientifically what happens with a mind that's grateful, and you'll be, you'll be really encouraged for sure, but I think that as, as kingdom people, we need to reclaim that stand. We're the ones who are saying and on the forefront of the the gratitude trend, okay? I just wanted to to say that because I think it's powerful. I think in some ways we've turned this this concept of thankfulness and gratitude. um, It's either like a dismissal, like we tell people, you just need to be thankful. I was diagnosed with cancer. Okay, well, you just really need to be thankful. Have you thought about that? Cool, thanks. I just told you I was diagnosed with cancer, 
right? Or, or it, it feels sometimes like a weapon where we just want people to be quiet about what they're navigating. And we tell them, well, you just need to be thankful. We, I know your kids are rowdy and crazy, but you, at least you have your kids, you know? Or, I, man, I have such a broken relationship with my dad. Well, at least your dad's still alive. Like, whoa, okay, but it's not a dismissal and it's not a weapon, right? So we have to find a way to fine-tune that response so that it's life-giving to ourselves and to those around us. And I, I um, before we go into um, reading Philippians, which we're going to do that together in just a moment, I know you've heard us say a lot that gratitude protects the heart. Our friends, the Wests, actually, um, they're missionaries, and they said that, and it's such a powerful phrase. And so as we go through Philippians, I want you to keep that, mind, that phrase in the back of your mind, along with that, you know, am I grateful? Man, gratitude protects the heart. And it, if we can process through those, through those phrases, I think, I think God's going to do some really cool stuff here. Um, so gratitude protects the heart. And if you want to open up your Bibles, if you have it on your phone or if you have your Bible here, Philippians 4, starting verse 4 and 5. I'll just give you a minute to open that up. Everybody okay? Okay, good. <laughs> All right. So we're going to read that. It's Philippians 4, 4 through 5. And it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I wanted to start in this particular part because I like Paul's approach to, before he even gets to the part about, you know, if you're anxious, he starts with this idea of rejoicing. He says, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, right? And so I think that it's really cool because he, he, he like acknowledges that sometimes it's really hard to get started. And just like Miles, we just don't have it in us sometimes. And to, and to be honest is the best place to start. But then we... Then we look at this verse and it says, like, rejoice in the Lord. So he's not saying, just rejoice, just rejoice, just get, muster up the, the gratitude and say, okay, I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. And the reason that that is powerful and that's grounding is because he's reminding us, you have a king who is worthy of being rejoiced in, right? Because when everything around us is shifting, we have a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We have a God who is the word, and he came, and he dwelt among us. We have a God who is the light and the life, who's in him, there is no darkness. So this is who Paul is saying, let's rejoice in the Lord. And this is really where our gratitude starts to, sh starts to take shape. And I... Um, I was remembering that, um, that at the beginning of this passage, that Paul is taking like a really communal stand, or not a stand, excuse me, an approach to the church, and he's like addressing these, we're, we're not going to read it, but he's addressing these women publicly, and he's like, hey, you have, a, you have a problem together, we'll then deal with it in the community. And then he brings in this aspect of rejoice, and what he's actually saying here is that He's encouraging us to rejoice 
in the body. So rejoice in the Lord, but do it vocally, do it publicly. And the reason he was saying this is because the culture at this time, they had no problem having festivals, sacrifices, parties, treating Caesar like a demigod. And so he was saying, let's shift your gaze. You have no problem rejoicing and celebrating these things. Let's come here. Let's move our gaze as a public um, and in a public display. Let's rejoice in the Lord. And I think that's really important. We don't always need to call up people and say, hey, I'm so thankful for this. But there is reason to celebrate in the body right here. This is an incredible context to practice our thankfulness and our gratitude before the Lord. I, uh, I remember being a little girl and part of small churches. And I remember that like 30-minute block between worship and the sermon. And the pastor would say, does anybody have a praise report? Does anybody remember that? Did anybody grow up in churches like that, right? And man, I don't know about you, but if you were a little kid waiting to be dismissed, you were like, oh my gosh, no, Donald, brother Donald's here. He's going to go for it. Yeah, it's true. That's not a, that's not a, a joke. I, I remember brother, brother Donald Bustamante, he, he always had something to say. And you did. You were like, wow, I wish they would pipe down. But you know what? Really, my criticism was a terrible response. I could really learn from those people who they were consistently ready to praise the Lord. They were like, hey, you should know that my God is faithful. And again, I'm rejoicing in my salvation. Like, that's incredible. And I, it just reminds me of what it says in Psalm 100, 4 and 5. And it says that we're to enter into his gates with praise. Right? We should come in this place dancing. We should come in this place saying, let me tell you the good things that my God has done for me because he is faithful and he is good. In a day when, when there's so much public division and degradation, imagine what true gratitude could do in the atmosphere. Just imagine. And I'm not saying even just grateful for God, but grateful for our neighbor, grateful for the people that we walk life with. Imagine people saying things like, you know what, I completely disagree with the mask ordinance, but I'm really grateful that my friends wear a mask because they're showing that they love their neighbor. That's how they're showing it. I don't agree, but I'm thankful for them. Or imagine the other side, oh, I just don't agree. I just don't agree. I can't believe they don't wear masks. But you know what, I'm grateful for them because they remind me of what it looks like to really take a stand and stand up for what I believe in. I don't agree, but I'm really thankful. Imagine what that would do to the atmosphere. Imagine what God's people could do, how a shift could happen in the division that we see if we were taking that kind of a stance. I think that that sounds like something I want to do. But you know who we really should raise an eyebrow at? We should be raising our eyebrow at the person who says, you know what? I deserve this. Why hasn't God come through for me? You can tell me to be thankful, but you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know how hard it's been. You don't know what they did to me. Those are the people that we think, whoa, does that sound reasonable? Just like Paul is saying, and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Or if you think of it this way, imagine that little child who is screaming their head off with two cars in their hand, but they want the one car that their little friend has, and you're like, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't sound very reasonable or thankful. Yes, 
right? Because I, I, I believe that we're called as people to, to be reasonable, yes, but to be grateful and thankful in the valleys and in the mountains, right? We should be a people who, when things are really hard, our gaze points to Jesus. And when things are really great, that it points to Jesus. Amen, Theo. That's right. You know, where we're starting to hear things like, man, this is so hard, but God is with me. Or I'm really lacking in this area, but he's my provider and he's my provision. Or my health is really struggling, but man, I'm connecting with my spouse and my kids like I have never had before. Or my house is falling apart, but my relationships are intact. Or when we're on the mountains, we can say things like, God gave our family $10,000 to pay off debt. And we didn't do anything to deserve it. We didn't do anything for God to be that kind. Or you know what? I am thriving in the middle of a pandemic and there is no explanation but that God is good. Because gratitude grounds us. It tethers us. Just like a tether ball. Get that picture. Life comes. But we're tethered, right? Life comes again. Tethered. I'm tethered. Gratitude. God, thank you. Even though, okay, I'm stuck to Jesus and I'm not going anywhere. Because the Lord is at hand. We're going to talk about that. Because the Lord is at hand. And I love that phrase. Caitlin, can you put the scripture up one more time, please? Just so we can see it. Thank you. I'm just going to read it one more time. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And what I love about this phrase, the Lord is at hand, study it. It's so cool. Is that it's both a reminder and a request. It's an acknowledgement, and it is at the same time, it's a prayer. It's saying, Lord, would you come, but also you are here. Lord, would you come, but I know that you're here. Because there's reason to praise. There's reason to rejoice. And, and before, I love this, that before Paul gets into the anxieties of life, the issues, the stress, the lack of peace, He reminds us first that the Lord is at hand. He says, let's remember who God is. I'm going to remind you that he's at hand. And then we're going to talk about the hard stuff. So Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. So because the Lord is at hand, don't be anxious about anything. And instead, tell God what you need in prayer and in supplication with thanksgiving. Tell God what you need. I love that because I like to tell God what I need because he listens. And I know he's there. I know he's an ever-present help in time of need. And you know what else I know? That gratitude is not a dismissal of the deep needs or the longings that we're experiencing. God never just dismisses us. And gratitude is not a tool of that either. It's not stuffing or pushing away the hard. It's embracing life's uncertainties, life's difficulties, disappointments, and declaring that God is at hand so I can tell him everything that I need. And practicing gratitude is an act of magnifying, right? We love that word in this place. We're going to magnify and multiply Jesus. And gratitude is 
just that. It is magnifying Jesus and saying he takes precedence over everything. And nothing can take precedence over his presence. And what's so cool, I, I love this, is that the, the, the word anxiety that Paul uses in this passage is the same word that Jesus uses in Matthew 6 where Jesus is shepherding his flock and he's saying, you don't have to worry about anything. Don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your life. And it's not just don't worry, right? Because that can sometimes, sometimes sound trite. I'm really struggling. I don't have the money to do this or this or that. Don't worry. And you're like, say that again to my face. <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. You do not know right? It can sound really trite. But the idea that Jesus, that Jesus first was getting across in Matthew 6 was he was saying, don't be anxious. And in that, he was saying, don't have a divided heart that takes your eyes off of the true object of life. Isn't that powerful? Doesn't that make so much more sense than just saying, don't worry, right? But if we, can, if we can get that in our hearts that God's not just being trite with us. He's saying, don't let anything come between us. Don't let anything come in the place where I want to teach you and I want to grow you. And I want to have gratitude growing in your heart so that you're tethered and grounded. That is the kind of the God that we serve. Because anxiety is really tricky. And the goal of anxiety is to steal your affection, to steal your trust, to cause you to spiral but because God is at hand, he changes the outcome. But friends, it's not just those who, who struggle with anxiety. So before you're like, well, I don't worry about a lot. It's not just that. It's really not. It's anything that divides your heart, anything that keeps your heart from the object of true life, which is Jesus. And I think of the story of Mary and Martha. And I love this story. And Jesus is so kind. And he's like, Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious about so many things. And Annette's paraphrase is, Martha, you're just letting all these things take your attention from me. But your sister Mary, oh, man, she's found the better portion. And it's not going to be taken from her. Mary has chosen that I'm the object of her affection. And nobody's going to get in between us. That's the kind of gratitude that Jesus wants to instill in us, the Holy Spirit wants to inspire and stir up in us. So Paul, Paul writes with this invitation to tell God what you need, and he gives directive, right? He gives directive about what to do with the anxieties of life, and he says in prayer and in supplication and with thanksgiving, then you tell God what you need. And from this place, we read Philippians 4, 7, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. This is hearty and substantial imagery, friends, that Paul wants to get ingrained into our minds because this was, was a culture that understood war, that understood power, that understood dominion. So Paul used imagery that had to do with fighting, with battle, with warfare, you know, the, the armor of God. He used this imagery because it was important to this culture. So when you hear the word guard, I want you to know that it is more 
powerful than just this phrase of guarding, like I'm guarding the door, (laughs) right? It's so much more substantial than that. And the fact that it is coupled with being guarded in Christ Jesus, I get really excited. I get really excited. And you should too, because what's coming is really incredible and it's massive. And I think it can change our lives in a really cool way. When you look up the word guard, so first we're going to work with that word. When you look up the word guard, it means to mount. It means to stand guard. But it also means to be a sentinel, to place a sentinel around your heart that is patrolling your heart and your mind. So it's this consistent, as we are in Jesus, there's a consistent guard and a patrol about our mind. I don't know about you, but I desperately need this in my life. I cannot go a day without the Holy Spirit guarding my mind because that's where the enemy has attacked me the most. And I cannot go a day without the sentinel guarding and putting a patrol around my heart and my mind. I cannot go a day. But what is so beautiful to me is there's this strong imagery of guarding. But then Paul says, in Christ Jesus. And it's the same idea that John uses when he says that the word came and he dwelt among us. It's this intimacy that cannot be explained. It's so beautiful. And he says that it's from this intimacy that we are guarded. That in Jesus, when we are intimately connected with him, he is guarding us with a fierceness and a strength that we cannot even comprehend. So that's exciting, right? That's good news. But here's the flip side. I want you to catch this because there's a huge caution that we need to heed. In Romans 121, listen to what it says. They did not honor him, as God, or give him thanks. They became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So same words, guarding hearts and minds, but look at what happens when we're not guarded. And it's not up to us to do the guarding. It's up to us to do the positioning and the posturing to the presence of God, and it's up to him to do the guarding. But when we don't acknowledge God and who he is in our lives, and we don't give him thanks and gratitude as we ought, our hearts are left unguarded. See, we think sometimes that we can be passive in this life and let everything take up space in our hearts and in our minds, but if we're not careful like I said, to acknowledge God or give thanks as we ought. We're not guarded. Friends, we don't have time to be unguarded. We do not have time. We're so careful in these days with COVID-19 or protecting our political views. We're guarded, we're guarded, we're guarded. This is where I want to be guarded. I want my heart and mind guarded in Jesus. But the good news is, is that Paul speaks to this and he gives us directive as to how we guard our hearts and minds. We're grateful and then he says this, finally dear brothers and sisters. Sorry, this is Philippians 4:8 and 9. Finally, dear brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is worthy of praise, whatever is commendable, Whatever, where if there is any excellence, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So what are you practicing? Friends, what are you practicing? I'm asking myself this question too. What am I committing my mind to? It's interesting that Paul then brings this idea of communal living full circle. And he says, what you've seen me do, do it yourselves. So let's get gratitude trending. I don't know if I made that up or not, but let's get it trending. You guys, if a 15-second video of a person hopping from their, you know, living room to the refrigerator to get a drink with a soundtrack can trend, then certainly gratitude can trend, please. Right? Let's get it trending. And I'm not talking about seeing it all over Hobby Lobby or on pillows that say grateful or a tray that says thankful that you're only going to use once a year. I am talking about us being beacons on a hill, about being salt and light in a dark, entitled, thankless world where people are thanking themselves or thanking their success. I want to be a people who says, no, anything good that I have comes from the Father. Anything that's bad, my Father turns it for good. That's the kind of people that we're called to be. So what are you celebrating? I know, I talk about Instagram and Facebook a lot and I make fun of it, but it's just true. Like, one look at Instagram and we'll know what's elevated and what's celebrated. What's magnified in our lives? What are you talking about when you don't have to have a filter? What are you talking about when it's just you and your kids or you and your spouse or you and your friends? What are you magnifying when you don't have to have a filter? Are you blessing or are you cursing? And I am not saying that we need to be fake. Please hear me. Anybody close to me knows that I am not fake, and I will tell you how hard homeschooling is and how I wish my kids would go back to school. See, I just did it, right? No, I'm kidding. It's actually getting a lot better, which I'm grateful for. It's getting so much better. Thanks be to God. Yes, Doug, yes. But God doesn't want us to be fake, but he does say that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart. So if our heart is not fostering gratitude or it's fostering comparison and envy, out of the abundance of the heart, our mouth is going to speak. So what, what are we celebrating? I loved this challenge from a commentary that I was reading. Caitlin's going to throw it up. It's, um, it says, how are you going to celebrate the goodness of the creator if you feed your mind only on the places in the world which have, humans have made ugly, how are you going to take steps to fill your mind instead with all the things that God has given us to be legitimately pleased with? Because he has. And to enjoy and to celebrate. I think of the garden. Man, Adam and Eve had everything. Everything to celebrate. Everything to legitimately celebrate in but they saw the one thing that they couldn't have. The one thing that they couldn't have, and they had no gratitude for the Father. They had no gratitude for the God that would come and walk with them in the cool of the day. They were literally in Christ. So how are you taking steps 
to think on whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, whatever is just, whatever is of good report. There, there is an unending list of things you can do to practice gratitude. You will not have a shortage of resources. So when you're ready and you're like, I want to practice gratitude. I want to get this in my bones. I want to get this in the DNA of my family. Would you just take some time and look for yourselves about ways that you can practice? Because how you practice gratitude isn't going to look like how you practice it or look how you, like how you practice it. How you pra- and it's just not. So I can tell you some things. I can give you some practical advice or thoughts But I know that everybody in this room is different. You're going to practice it differently. But I will say that gratitude is so much more than just saying thankful, right? Or just saying thank you. How many have ever had an obligatory thank thank you? Right? Thank you. You're like, ooh, did I, what happened? Did I run over your cat? Like, what happened? Why are you so mad? I was talking to my friend, and she was saying that her, she'll serve her son dinner, and he'll be like, not taking a single bite. And every time she looks at him, he's like, thank you for this dinner. And she finally said, do you know what would say thank you is if you actually took a bite of your food. That would say thank you more than anything, right? So, so gratitude is a posture of the heart. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. And as you get started, um, I want to throw out this scientific, no, I'm just kidding, it's not that scientific, you've probably heard it, but it actually takes on average of 66 days to make a habit become, or excuse me, to make a practice become a habit. So this might take some work. Some people think 21 days, that has been debunked, that's not true. It takes on average 66 days for a practice to become a habit. So Godspeed, my friends, let's do this. Here's some things you can do every day. You can meditate on a scripture that points you to Jesus. You can say, I'm going to focus on entering his, into his gates with thanksgiving. Before your feet touch the ground, before you get out of bed, what can you thank God for? Who in your life can you say, thank you for the way you serve me? You don't have to do this, but you do. You can do a, 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 a journal. You can write things down that you're actually thankful for. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for my kids. You can get your little kids by the face and say, I'm thankful for you and I like you. You know, you can text somebody. There you go, Rose. You get her. You tell her you're thankful for Lily. Maybe you find someone that you say, hey, can I just text you every day something in my life that I'm thankful for? You don't even have to respond, but I want to practice that communal Thanksgiving version has a ton of thankful, gratitude kind of things that you can jump on and you can finish one and you can do another one and then you can finish one and you can do another one. This is one that is my favorite and I encourage you to do it. Practice the Sabbath. Practice the Sabbath, a day where you just reflect and you rest in the goodness of God. When you think about the things that he's given you and you sit back in them and you rest in it and you lean in and you say, man, God, you're good. You're good to my family. You're good in my relationships. You're very kind and I don't deserve it, but you're good. And all the while, do you know what's happening? Your heart is guarded. God's peace is like a sentinel staking claim on your mind and you're thinking 
and you're and and the deepest parts of you God is saying I'm I'm rounding things up that don't belong here and I'm sending them to flight and I'm putting instead my fruit of the spirit I'm guarding your heart I am staking claim on your mind there's no darkness here there is light and I, I, I like to think of it this way, that gratitude gives so many lenses to life. It adds breadth and depth and width because gratitude is actually a kingdom perspective. It reminds us of the bigger picture. When you look at your life and you're like, oh, everything's going crazy. Or if those of you that wear glasses, you can't see, right? You're like, I just can't make anything out. What do you do? You pick up your lenses, you put them on, and all of a sudden you have better perspective. You can see the words right in front of you or you can see in the distance. That is what God's kingdom perspective does in our lives, and we need that. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29, I want to go ahead and read this. It says, therefore, this is why it's a kingdom perspective in my opinion. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This is such a good reminder that the power of of kingdom gratitude can shift our gaze when we practice gratitude, we see things differently. I love what N.T. Wright, he's, we love him in this house. He's a renowned theologian. This is what he says about this particular scripture. He says, thanking God for what you have is the way that you keep the things of this world in proper perspective. This passage is so important because it emphasizes that one day all of these things will pass away, but there is an unshakable kingdom that will never pass away. True gratitude, both for the present world and for the world to come, is the deepest and truest form of worship. Isn't that good? True gratitude, both for the present world and for the world to come, is the deepest and truest form of worship. I love that. I want my life to be marked by that. Now, for those of you in this room that might be practicing or non-practicing theologians, you might, you might not like my next phrase, but I'm going to say it anyways. Gratitude makes room for miracles. I really believe this. Because it's not about, if we, if we look at what we've been learning, it's not about us. It's about God. It's about his unshakable kingdom. It's not about what you're feeling or what's going on around you, but it's rooted in the goodness of God and his character. It's rooted in his unshakable kingdom. Then I, I really believe this. And I look at the life of Jesus, and I look at some of my favorite miracles are when, is when he feeds 5,000 when he feeds 4,000. Guys, there are days I can't even feed my family of five. I open the refrigerator, and I think, nope, going to In-N-Out, Right? That, uh, can you imagine that need, that urgency that Jesus felt? But not only did he know that they were hungry, he knew the spiritual needs, he knew the ramifications, he knew that these people in this time needed to see a miracle, they needed an encounter with the Messiah. And what did Jesus do? We're not going to read it, but it says that Jesus saw the need and he gave thanks. So Jesus practiced gratitude. I think that that's, I mean, if Jesus did it, right, what else do I need to say? I probably could have just come up and said that phrase, and then we could have all gone to lunch. Because if Jesus was grateful, we should be too, right? He gave thanks, and then he broke the bread, and he blessed the people. I do believe that gratitude makes room for miracles. 
for the kingdom of God to come to earth. And if we are in, if we are in Christ, and gratitude is, is a reflection of the intimacy between the Father and the Son, and we're in Christ, then I think that we can reflect this too. Because if Jesus did it, we ought to do it. So after all of this, after probably the most challenging year that many of us have ever faced, are you still grateful? I think that we, we need to take time to really sit in that and really spend time here and let the Holy Spirit speak. And I'm not just saying here, but out there in your time with the Lord. Because none of us are exempt from this challenge. None of us. We, we are called to practice gratitude on the mountains and in the valleys. We're called to practice gratitude when our shepherd leads us beside still waters. And we're, when we're in the presence of our enemies at the table. We are called to be thankful in both of those places. Because gratitude is holy it's a weapon, it's weighty, and it positions us in Jesus, which is the only place we need to be, the exact place that we need to be. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our model of what it means to be thankful in all things. You showed us how to embrace suffering how to embrace miracles, all with gratitude. So Jesus, help us to learn from you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that your word brings healing to us. God, it brings deliverance. It brings freedom. It brings focus where we've lacked focus. Lord, it, it builds our faith. God, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Lord, I pray that faith would be built in this place today. Not because of what I've said, but because your word goes forth and it accomplishes what it's sent to do. And, God, would you help us in this season as this year closes, God, would you help us to reflect on your goodness, Lord, to be people who are salt and light in a very, very, very harsh world. God, to be beacons in a world that is protective and fighting and divisive. God, help us to be a thankful people. And God, would you be the balm over our hearts and our minds where we have just been wrecked? God, where our mental health has struggled, where our families have struggled, God, where our finances have struggled, where our jobs have struggled, where our relationships with our kids have been hard, or family members or people that think differently than us on political views, God, would you be the balm over those things? God, would you carry us into this new year and this new season with thankfulness and gratitude that only comes from heaven? And God, give us the words when we're not grateful. Remind us that we're not our feelings, but that we are king's kids, that we belong to the kingdom. 
God, we love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, I just have a couple of questions that if you are find yourself in Philippians 4 this week, which I would encourage you to do, these are just some questions. Where have I been entitled and how can I replace that with gratitude? I have been entitled, my friends. I've said, God, I don't deserve this. I work hard. I do all this, A, B, and C. You should be coming through for me. Your life should be different than that. I should be here by now. So I'm going to hang out at this question a lot. <laughs> Number two, in what areas of my life am I struggling to express gratitude? And, and what is one thing I can do to shift my gaze? Number three, are there any areas of my life left unguarded? And how can I move towards being guarded in Christ? This particular question, um, I say be really open. You might be surprised the things that leave us unguarded. Again, I, I'm not getting on a soapbox. But your time on social media, it could very well be leaving you unguarded. That favorite show on Netflix that you just can't get enough of, it might be leaving you unguarded. That relationship that you think you are in that person when you should be in Christ might be leaving you unguarded. That job that you find success in, whatever. There's nothing off limits here when you're in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Whatever he speaks, be open. Number four, how can I be someone around me that those are actually grateful for? You guys, thanks so much. Um, I just want you to know I'm walking this out. I didn't actually share a lot of my story because I'm prone to cry all the time. You can ask me, how are you really practicing gratitude? And I'll be very honest with you. I will. Um, but I just want to say thank you. And um, we just love you guys so much. Pastor Kai. Thank you for listening. If you are blessed by this episode and would like to help us create more content that magnifies and multiplies Jesus, would you consider giving a financial gift of any amount today? Whatever you give will go towards building the kingdom of God in the lives of people all over the world. Thank you for your support, and we pray many blessings over you.